That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Do you dream of being CEO of your own empire, running your own company, achieving your life's goals, yet wake up in a cold sweat next to last night's takeout leftovers and a pile of bus ticket stubs? You are not alone. Like many others, you are suffering from a classic case of caviar dreams, tuna fish budget. I'm Margaret Josephs. And I'm Lexi Barbuto. And every week, we'll be talking to influencers, trailblazers, disruptors, and risk takers who'll share their own journey to caviar dreams on a tuna fish budget. Side effects may include increased motivation, boundless happiness, and a fast track to success. Hello, caviar dreamers. We have the best guest today. We have Jay Manuel. America's Next Top Model, 18 seasons, household name, you know, fashion um, correspondent for E, someone that has aged in reverse and that all of you will recognize. And now he wrote a book. As a if book. we couldn't fangirl any more over him. I know. And he wrote, wrote it himself. The wig, the bitch, and the meltdown. And it's causing quite a little stir. It is. And it's causing a stir for a couple of different reasons because I think people... Look at the cover and expect one thing, and then they open the book, start reading, and realize it's such an introspective, interesting journey into the psyche of the industry also. Yes, I agree. It's a great, great book, but I'm super excited to speak with him about it, so we're going to have Jay on right now. Yeah, let's just get right into it. Right into it. Hi, Jay. Hi, Jay. You look gorgeous. Gorgeous. So gorgeous. <laughs> I'm sorry I don't have my eyelashes on for you, but I give them a break when I'm you know, in between my filming days. <laughs> I love how you said that. You guys look great. What are you talking about? You're so sweet. Yeah. I don't even tell you. I mean, I, know. I grew up in England and watched every season of early America's Next Top Model. And yes, your role on the show was the role I was the most in love with. Like everything you did was everything <laughs> I wanted to do after going to fashion school. Oh, really? That's so exciting. I know. 18 seasons. Yes. Right? 18 seasons. So, so fabulous. So great. And now you just came out with your new with your new book, which I'm super super excited. I mean, you sent me my copy, which I have right here, which is so good. <laughs> the meltdown, which is yeah. unbelievable. You know, I love it that it says the devil also wears cheap shoes, which is so good. <laughs> and I mean, obviously, you know, it's inspired by your time, you know, your time on America's Next Top Model. Correct. Correct. You know, and by the way, that tagline that you just brought up in the devil also wears cheap shoes. It's a bit of a nod, obviously to devil wears Prada. And it's yes. also to set up 
the the tone of the book. I mean, it is a work of satire. It is a novel. So, you know, for those out there going, ooh, is it real, is it not? Well, a novel by definition means that it's fiction. And it is inspired by my time on America's Next Top Model and my time within the entire world of kind of reality TV and, and in fashion. And I got to experience a lot. So I had to channel it all through this, this work, uh, which basically takes place behind the scenes of a fictitious model competition reality show and it's called model muse yes and um the supermodel host is keisha cash yes. and in the book you actually see how keisha and pablo michaels who's the protagonist just inspired by me inspired how they by you <laughs> and yeah. then they kind of take off and by the way he really is not me and that's what was so fun about writing fiction you know uh he there are definitely very real parts of me within that character, but there are a lot of parts of Pablo that are not me at all. And all the characters in the book took on a life of their own. Um, but what? But I will share one thing that a lot of people don't know, and I haven't talked a Ooh. lot about. Oh, but, but the most, <laughs> the most vulnerable part of kind of my life story, I, I made it part of Pablo's story, and and it's part of the main story with the big twist at the end, and that is his adoption story. And a lot of people yes. don't know that I was adopted. And so I, it was something I did bring up when I was co-hosting on The View once, because Barbara Walters and I were I was doing Hot Topics and her daughter's adopted. And mm -hmm. I said something about being adopted and Whoopi turned to me, she goes, I didn't know you were adopted. And I was like, nice yes. to meet you, you know? But I didn't realize how many people really responded to that on social media. I got tons of letters. So I felt it was important to share a very vulnerable part of myself um, in the book, as the whole book is a vulnerable piece of emotion. I mean, it's meant to make you roar with laughter yes. and cringe. And then at times it is very heartbreaking. And, I, and I, you know, I wanted people to kind of go on that journey. Which I, what is so, wait, I want to go back to the adoption and everything else. But sure, I sure. Say is that it's so impressive that you did not have a ghostwriter. I want everyone to know that, that you wrote it yourself. Yes, yes. You know, and, and that was a bit of a hurdle too. And, and I'm not gonna lie, I'm, I'm really sharing my, prod, my process with people. And that was, uh, when I decided it was time to write this novel, I wanted to have fun and write a novel. I thought, well, I'm not gonna write it. I mean, people don't know me as a writer. And I did do writing when I was at NYU, but I was really afraid that the public would think Oh, well, he's not a writer. They like you in your lifestyle space. You know what I mean? I mean, you guys get it. Like you, people yes, like to yes. see you for one thing and that's it. And um, so I <laughs> decided I wanted to kind of outline the story. I knew I was, I wanted to do something, even as my agent said, it was a little Black Mirror-ish. I wanted to write with this metafictional moment. It, it comes up in the last third, last yeah, the last third of the book, it's the last act. And there's this huge twist that no one ever sees coming. I won't spoil it for people who have not yes. read. And um, I, I knew I wanted to do this. And it goes against all literary conventions. So I was really scared to do it. But I outlined the story. I, I, I did all the character studies beyond just a, a typical kind of character breakdown. I, I sat down with two different psychologists. And I started digging in wow. and looking at why characters why individuals would react certain ways within 
A, the pressure cooker of the industry, and B, within the circumstances of the story. So I did all this work thinking I was going to help a ghostwriter out. Like, I, because you, you know, I, I've seen people work with ghostwriters and I know the disconnect that can happen. So I did all this work for a time, like literally, I'd say almost a year and a half, you know, because I was working and stuff. And then when I got to the end, I looked at all this writing and I shared it with a really good friend of mine who's a, a like a one hour script writer, just mm-hmm. to say, do you think I have enough you know, just to hand over to somebody. And I, I sent it to her. She didn't respond to my email. She called. And I was like, oh my God, what what I do? She said, Jay, you're a writer. Would you just write the damn book? Like, oh, you have to write good. it. And I thought, oh, I can't write it. And um, so she said, I, I really, I really would encourage you. You're a writer. And and that was the kind of the best. It was, it was the beginning of this, this piece of work, which was, I dove in that weekend and I started writing, you know, like a few chapters, just pre-writing. And then I, I, I just went for it and I had a, a great first draft. And then like all writers, even seasoned novelists, they have a great, tend to have a writing mentor, someone you can bounce things off of. So um, I was recommended to this woman I really connected with and she primarily writes creative nonfiction, but she's also a, um, she was a writing professor and host writing workshops. So she loved my work. She loved the story. And then what I, I decided to work with her is like bring every draft to her. And we would do like a FaceTime because she was in Europe and we would just talk through what my draft was, what I could focus on in the next draft. And I had a really, really kind of, it, it was a great learning process, you know, learning my, my voice in writing, um, something that is a piece of fiction and, um, yeah. That's so interesting. That is. And by the way, it's so impressive. And I just want everyone to know, because it's not easy to write a book, because P.S., I... I'm doing a book and I'm using a ghostwriter heads up to everybody else. Cause I talk nonstop. <laughs> I have horrible ADD. I made all my notes, but that's why I just want to say what, I mean, kudos to you. I, it's just unbelievable. Cause it's just such a great book. Thank and you. I mean, I'm sure you're going to come out with tons of other books because you are so fabulous <laughs> it, Thank in you. general. So I just want to say, it's just, I know, so I want to go back to the adoption. Your parents are biracial. Yeah, you know, it's such a weird thing because now that I'm talking about it, I've never had language around it, to be honest. Yeah, I know, you. I know. They're your parents. They're your parents. Yeah, they're my parents. People they, are only, like, you know, now it's such buzzwords, right? It's like, your parents are your parents. I totally I agree with you. Yeah, they're my parents. I only know my parents. Um, you know, my sister and I were both adopted. We were never told we were adopted. It was one of these things. If I go all the way back in my memory banks, we always knew because they always celebrated it. So it was a thing that was just, to us, it was just normal. You know, we felt like the wanted children. We, that we were our family and we knew we were adopted because we celebrated kind of like the day we came home because my parents Aww. had like our, our like, we had like our, you know, a baby book, right? Like most kids have a baby book, yes. like a baby album. My, our baby album even has pictures of the day we picked you up. And so this is mommy, this is daddy. And obviously Aww. mommy's not pregnant in the picture. So it was always really explained to us just so well as children that, you know, you read about a lot of these kind of, <laughs> I hate when I see shows about adoption or talk shows and they do such a poor job in my opinion You're around right. explaining the psychology around a, what adopted children or adopted adults feel now granted everyone's story is individual and I'm not here to say my story is the same as the person you know down the road but I just find that they never really have this this um t- like this whole 
they never look at it from 360 degrees is, is, is my always problem. My problem. They always look at like, you know, adopted children never feel like they belong. They never, well, I never I don't felt agree. that. I always felt like I'm a part of my family. So to kind of, I mean, a lot of, there's a lot of questions around race these days. So when I have spoken about my ethnicity, because there's so much confusion around it, because Manuel is actually a South African last name. My parents are from mm-hmm. South Africa. Uh, and, and they are also kind of of a mix, right? Yes. But my kind of actual ethnic breakdown, which the country seems so fascinated by. Yes. Well, you're so actually, gorgeous. You're so gorgeous. People want the right milkshake so their kids look like you. <laughs> so, so the right milkshake. I really am actually just, I'm biracial. My father is black from, we're talking like biological father, black from Africa. Uh, and my mother was European. So I, you know, I'm just biracial, but the, you know, growing up, you know, my parents being from South Africa and I grew up in Canada, even though I was born in the States, mm-hmm. um, was that Canada, it was such a melting pot. So no one really discussed your race. So I was felt so accepted growing up. And then I moved to New York when I was 19, I was going to NYU and everyone was like, well, what are you? Cause my last name, I pronounce it manual. And they think my name is J Manuel, like, Hernandez or something like, <laughs> you know, like because you know Manuel is a Latin first or middle name, and so everyone thought I was Spanish. I'm like, no, I'm black, and they're like, Ugh. like all the girls, like black girls, a lot of them were like, you're not black, please, like whatever. Exactly. And then obviously I'm not yeah, white, so, so it was this. I, I felt this real weird sense of trying to find my own identity once I moved to the states because people didn't accept that. I grew up identifying as black because my parents did, and, and they are mixed as well. Um, but again, we grew up as just identifying as black. And I know a lot of people have a hard time digesting that, but I'm not anything else. I'm not Spanish, I'm not white. So, you know, I don't believe like biracial is a thing. It's <laughs> like, a thing, it, I, I get what you're yeah. saying. I totally, I totally understand that. But I yeah. think, yeah, everybody likes to label stuff, which is so draining, right? It's like that everyone has to be labeled. So. Well, we'll look at, we'll look at Halle Berry, okay? Yes. Um, I've, and I've, you I've, two look I'm related, really, by the way. You and Halle Berry could be brother and sister. Yeah. So do you know how many people actually say that? And actually, Halle and I have talked about that because, and there were, I posted a picture not that long ago um, of Hallie and I on the carpet, where I was interviewing her, although I already knew her personally. But when you look at that photo, I mean, features-wise, even our skin tone is the same. Very. And what I always, you know, kind of felt uh, strange about, you know, is that the world accepted her as Black, and I always felt not accepted for being who I am, um, even though I know who I am. And and what's interesting is if you look at us, our features are similar, mm-hmm. our skin tone's the same, totally. and she's now you know, the first black woman to ever, you know, receive an Academy Award still to this day, except yet she's biracial, but the black community accepts her. And then I have still, you even reading on social media, people saying, oh, Jay now claims he's no, you know, you black. Always I'm like, well, I've always, I've always, yes, why are they, always I know, that. why do yeah. they, I mean, people are vicious, right? They say crazy right. shit. Yeah. Right, yeah. I know. <laughs> so how did you just get involved yeah, in how American, did you how did you start your career? Because I think that's what's so inspiring and so interesting. Oh, gosh. Well, there's the super long story. So you want to know how I got involved with Top Model or my career? Because like, I had a whole career before Top Model. No, I know. I know. First yeah. of all, wait, I just want to say something because you look like so young. Do you mind me asking how old you are? I just turned 48. Oh my God. Why is your skin so freaking perfect? You're ageless. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. It's like people don't realize that you look so freaking young. So I know you had a whole career. I mean, 18 seasons in America's Next Top Model. Yeah. So what 
you know, what did you so do? How did I get purpose? into it? Well, yeah. So the way I got involved in the industry was really as a makeup artist. And it's, it's a really fun, long story, which we could do like a whole other chat on. Uh, because I really moved to New York to be an opera singer. And I was at school and at Jesus. NYU. I can't take and, this multi-talent renaissance. <laughs> and makeup was really kind of like this hobby. And the way I got into it was really my first voice teacher was in Martin Scorsese's The Age of Innocence. At playing an opera singer, she's the first person you see in the film. And ultimately, the photographer that the studio hired to get images of her, she asked me, can you come help me get ready? You're better at this stuff than me. He saw my work. He's like, you're talented. It's a long story, but I was like, oh, no, I'm at school, da-da-da-da-da. And then I was thinking, well, you know, we all need pocket cash. So I called him up because he gave me his card. I said, this is my class schedule. He hired me. He kind of snickered at, you know, how young and naive I was, which I absolutely was. He hired me for a job, and I did a good job. And then at the end of that job, he says, well, I'm doing um, a CD cover for the Metropolitan Opera uh, next week. I'd like to hire you to put, you know, the subject in character. And I was like, oh yeah, I could do that. Like fake it till you make it right. I didn't knew nothing about putting people in character. And they said, yeah, we're shooting Luciano Pavarotti. <laughs> and that was the first oh celebrity oh that I worked with. Uh, so fast forward, you know, that, that whole shoot went, it was really insane how that went down because he was an idol of mine at the time. Mm -hmm. But an agent saw my work, I got into the industry and was doing makeup and then eventually moving into creative direction where you actually art direct, because a lot of my clients saw that I was kind of looking at everything and they always asked my opinion. So I had started working with Tyra, actually. She was presenting at the GQ Man of the Year Awards. Um, this was in like 1996 or something. And uh, basically her makeup artist missed their flight. And she was in New York. And I was already an established makeup artist and was shooting with major celebrities like Iman and, you know, I could even shot with Naomi Campbell at the time and was doing Vogue portraits and working with like the cast wow. of the Sopranos and all that stuff. So she was, I was recommended to her and she goes, well, I'll try him out. He can come kind of do my makeup for free as a trial. Um, which is uh, kind of funny. And she talks about this. It's, it's kind of funny because I could have just said, well, no girl. yes you know <laughs> but i really respected her so much at the time and every every kind of thing that she overcame and what she represented to so many people at that time um and she you know she was this big victoria's secret angel and i was like oh well you know i love her so i will go do this for free and we'll see what happens well we clicked next week i was working with her again you know, I think we were in St. Bart's for Victoria's Secret and then that, you know, the rest was history. So when she came up with the idea for Top Model, we'd been working for years and she actually called me and I have a version of this kind of sequence kind of inspired by this moment in my book. It's in chapter three called The Show is Born. Yes. Uh, where, where Keisha calls Pablo at like six in the morning. And that's really what happened. Tyra called me at six in the morning, but she lived in LA. So when I saw caller ID, I was like, oh my, you know, home landline, remember? Uh, yes. I was like, what's wrong? So I picked up the phone, like, what's wrong? And she's like, I've got this idea, da 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 da, but I'm gonna need your help. And that's kind of how Top Models started. So I didn't really have an audition for the show. When the show finally, she pitched it everywhere, everyone turned it down. UPN said yes. Uh, and then, um, I, of course, she wanted me to do her makeup on the show. And then when, during that first season, they were, they had producers who knew nothing about fashion. They weren't part of the industry and they were, reality was in its infancy. I mean, people were like, it was a clumsy start. People were just trying to figure out what reality was. Yes. There was only, 
uh, the real world and Survivor had just started. Yes. There was nothing else. There were, there were no other reality shows on TV. So these reality producers knew nothing. And we were literally like a day before a photo shoot. And they said, oh, well, we kind of had something set up, but they fell through. And Tyra turned to me and said, you know, everyone, can you take over, take this over? So I called the manager of Pier 59 Studios, set up a deal there so we could shoot there called in, I knew all these famous photographers, called in friends, favors, and I just started producing the shoots behind the scenes. So by like the fourth episode, Tyra says, oh, Jay just has to be the producer of photo shoots. And, and she was like, we should make him like the creative director. So in season one, when I still had black hair, uh, we literally, you see me kind of turn into my role slowly when we got to Paris, I just showed up one day and even though you saw me in the show, now I was the creative director. It was kind of weird, but that's how, how the whole thing started. That was unbelievable. I mean, that's so amazing. Isn't that it great? Is. So do you watch any other reality TV at this point? Well, not, that this... You have to, not that you have to watch me at all. I mean, it's not, a big, it's not a big deal. I mean, I don't take offense. Right now, I'll be very, very honest with you. I haven't watched any, rea probably the only reality show that I catch just to kind of give my brain a break at the end of the week yeah. has been uh, probably RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh -huh. We're uh, obsessed with RuPaul, obsessed. by the way. Yeah, we are obsessed. obsessed. But I think, I think just because of the book and the writing, what I didn't realize, well, I knew it was going to be isolating and I knew it was going to be a lot of work. And I am kind of working on part two of the book. So Ooh, good. Uh, and, and the book, my book, just the, this first book released. So it's like, I'm constantly doing, it's all about my life is the book right now, to be honest yes. with you. And that takes so much focus. So I, I haven't been up to date with anything in quarantine other than living in my world of the book. No, you, yeah, you have to, but I'm just saying, cause one of your top models, Eva Marcel was on Housewives of Atlanta. Yes. That's right. Yes. Did you yes. Follow, did you watch her at all on that? Like I did see I did see a little bit with her on it and saw clips and even I, you know, obviously stay in contact and um, and she was actually really lovely to um, the day my book released. We were actually we did like a live signing with Premier Collectibles, which is this company that's been around before you know the pandemic, where they um, and, and I don't know if this is something you're even thinking about with your own book. They do celebrity book signings and they do them virtually. Oh, and good. so you do this signing and then what they do is this link stays up and they basically act like a bookstore, except when people buy your book from them, it's signed. So, oh, so that's, that's well, good. That's good to know because by the time my book launches next year, I'm hoping we're through the pandemic that you could be on tour and I could be on tour, but God only knows what's going to happen. Even outside, but even outside yes. of a tour, a lot of huge celebrities, like big, big stars. And, yes. and like everybody has done this because it's a place where let's say you're not touring where your fans are, but they want one of your books autographed. Oops. So that's what Premier Collectibles does. That. And Thank even you. beyond, so Eva helped host the launch of that the day my, my book released. And we had a lot of fun. That's she's, she's so good. Great. She's great. Yeah. She is so great. Yeah. It's funny. It would be so interesting the way RuPaul does an All-Stars. It would be interesting to do an America's Next Top Model All-Stars with some of the winners pitched against each other in today's climate because the climate has changed so much. Sure. And I know you said when you kind of tried to part ways with the show in, in season eight, in cycle eight, mm -hmm. that, you know, some of the photo shoots you are a lot less comfortable with. Do you mm -hmm. think the show will be produced a little differently if you started from scratch again today? Well, it would all depend on who is involved in producing that show. I think 
you know, for me, when I, and that was, that was kind of news to a lot of fans because the public did not know that I did leave the show and cycle eight. It was my contract was finished. Uh, and the way my contract was written, because a lot of questions have circulated, why didn't you talk about it? Because my contract at that time prohibited me from speaking to the press about anything like that. So the network and the team had three months to cast someone. They could not find somebody to do, uh, to kind of fill the role. And they came back to me very last minute to do a one-off cycle. And then after that cycle, um, they asked me, would I consider staying again? Um, and I did, but um, it, it was it was a different culture, different climate. In the early seasons, I was in charge of all the creative and I brought on all the creative talent. By the time, you know, post cycle 10, um, all I was in charge of 100% producing were the final runway shows. The photo shoots I consulted on, but I wasn't in charge of even that creative anymore. So it depends on who does the show, if they were gonna do an, another All Stars or a, like a swan song cycle, which there've been so many rumors about the cycle 25. Um, I would like to see, I would wish it well, I, I would wish them success. I think there is a way to do a version of that show in today's climate that's not, if they made it more kind of rooted in reality again, the way the show started, which gave it its magic, I think that would be great. And if we if they stopped with the kitschy ratings, grabbing ridiculous moments because the show jumped the shark, mm -hmm. uh, I think it could be real. I, I'll be honest with you, you know, people keep asking me, oh, would you go back, would you go back? Look, I, I, I just gotta be really honest. And I mean, we all know the world that we yes. live in and, and, and I think, People love to live in hope and et cetera. I don't think anyone would ask me to be, come back and be a part of the show again. I think my my book, although it is fiction, it's just ruffled too many feathers. Yeah, I understand it, but it has to be entertaining and I understand. But you know what? You were on the show a very long time. It is it is fiction, you know, inspired by. I, I totally get it, but you know, People have to suck it up sometimes. And those are also, <laughs> just, it's your, those it's, are your stories to tell. Yes. And yeah. you want to tell them. And that's, I love that you say that because ultimately one of the things that I've been encouraging a lot of young writers is everyone has a story to tell. Everyone, whether you feel like you want to write something or have someone write for you, everyone has their POV and their story. And, and ultimately my book, it's, it's not about the fun, salacious scenes that make you laugh. Yeah, that the book is meant to entertain, but there is a gravitas to the piece. The whole book is ultimately the journey of awakening, awakening to oneself, learning that we all, all of us, kind of grow up reaching for external validation, but the one that makes the difference is internal validation, our own validation. And so that's something everyone can relate to. And um, and really, the the cast of characters, and I'm I'm rooting it and on what I'm in, where I lived and what I'm inspired by, because I think that's how fans will connect to the piece. But they'll realize there there is more than just even that in the book. There's a story about the, I mean, the theme about cost of fame, kind yes. of power struggles within the workplace, which is again something everyone can relate to. You don't have to work on a show to relate to that. No egos, so painful. Yeah, e egos, and then also dealing with looking at just how the entertainment industry deals with intersectionality and also black women's identity and how that affects, you know, uh, you know, a black woman in the public eye. And I know that's something I talked to Eva a lot about with this book. So this, you know, with Keisha Cash's character, she's not, 
just, she's not an antagonist. We look at her from a 360 perspective. You want to feel her vulnerability. You want to feel empathy for her. You want to understand why is she doing what she's doing? I agree. I agree. And so that, that's really the whole purpose of the piece. It's, it's not meant to take anyone down or anything. It's really just to really examine and look at life and relationships. That's so important. And I know that it's ruffled people. I mean, are you still talking? I mean, so Tyra obviously is having, I mean, I, I don't want to just say that, but she's obviously upset. And I think if she should be a little more self-reflective and be like, mm-hmm. you know what? This can help me, whatever it is. I love Jay. We've had an amazing history together. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be, well, that's know, how I, to be honest with you, that's how I look at it. I mean, the book, you know, all of the characters in the book, they took on lives of their own. Exactly. When I wrote the book, and I'm, I'm talking when you write, it's draft after draft. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, literally even my draft three, I remember I had a 3A, a 3B, C, D, E, and then I still kept going with draft numbers. But ultimately, the characters became their own kind of entities. I was not you know, thinking of the people they're inspired by. I was trying to tell a very specific story. Um, and, and the piece is not written from a place of negativity or malice. And honestly, I have really nothing but love and respect for Tyra. Because you know what? We're all human beings. Yes. We all struggle. We all grow through on our own journeys. We grow through our own mistakes. So I don't have anything but love for her and for, for really everyone that I encounter. You have to get to a place of understanding why we're in certain relationships um, in our life, in our lifetime, really. I, I love it. You're so therapeutic. And what I find so <laughs> interesting is I would say, you know, witnessing, I, I've worked in the fashion industry, worked with Margaret, obviously for a really long time. I'm now witnessing reality TV happening around us. You know, the fashion industry and the reality TV industry are the most boundaryless industries you could possibly be in. I so I, f- I found the phone conversations like, come over, you have to come over right now. You know, I need you right now. It's so funny, like to work in those two industries and have them molded in a show must have heightened any emotion that anyone working on that show had. Oh, of course. And I love what you just said about, you know, looking at reality TV today, because that's another kind of, kind of, um, somewhat of a, 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 I guess, a statement, if you will, that I'm, I'm kind of making about the industry in the book. Because um, I look at reality TV as the birth mother to social media, which is something everyone has experienced oh, with. You're right. And look at what we do today. We walk around with our phones and we shoot what we want people to see. We make sure that we look our best when we do our selfies, et cetera. So we're constantly subconsciously saying to the world, look at me and love me for what I'm not. And what does that ultimately do to the human spirit? And so that's why I actually, and right on the first page of the book, it doesn't spoil anything before chapter one, I wrote this little, this, this quote right on the front page. I kind of say the world of reality TV is not real. And yet reality television has morphed into reality. I've worked in this world of smoke and mirrors. And when the smoke dissipates, the mirror reflects the truth. And so going back to Ooh, what you just, I know, I just got the chills got too, the chills. considering I'm filming right now. <laughs> and, and think about the people that we are filming with, because in, in, in my book, um, Pablo ultimately has to realize that Keisha is really a mirror for himself. And so you can't quite look at someone that you're, you know, because obviously the book has a journey and he reaches this point where he's looking at her and going, wait, who is this person? But what he ultimately has to realize is, is that he's really seeing himself in her. 
And the real profound part, which always gives me goose bumps, when I handed my manuscript into my agent, and I had to finally let it go at the end, and I, was, I, I did one last read through the book, and I thought, oh my God, it's not just that, oh, there's a little bit of me and Pablo, there's actually a bit of me, Jay Manuel, in every character of the book. Yes. Even the characters yes. we don't like, or even the humorous ones. Like, I really am every character in the book. And if I don't admit that, wow. And so that really opened my eyes to really exploring a, a really big, kind of deeper side of myself. Like, you have to own all of that, the good and the ugly and, you know, all of it. I, I agree. I think it takes a lot of self-realization. I think you are so grounded. Now, let me just ask you some personal questions. Have you been in therapy? Sure. Because you are so therapeutic. Yeah. Maybe, maybe <laughs> you, know, you have to be like, maybe you have to like coach a lot of people. Well, I think where I kind of found a lot of my tools um, were from definitely um, some really important books in my life that, that I kind of use as tools. Like I, like every morning, it doesn't matter what time I have to get up. Like if I was shooting and had to be somewhere at mm -hmm. 6 a.m., I get up an extra half hour early. I read from different kind of daily readings. And I try oh, to write in, I don't call it a journal. It's kind of more of like a, uh, I don't know what it is. It might even turn into a self-help book one day. Who knows? It's just kind of this document that I type into. But, um, you know, but like Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth, was was a book that changed my life and i actually wrote him a letter and he the wrote power me of back. now wow well no it was actually a new earth i read a new earth a new earth and he did the power now right also he did as well yeah okay yeah he did and um and then mm. you know i do have like like i said uh you know the tibetan book of living and dying was another big awakening aha book for me the seat of the soul but, you know, even working with this book, talking and speaking with psychologists, like Dr. Ramani Diversala, who has the book, you know, of um, should I stay or should I go? How to, you know, um, the tagline is how to deal with, like, you know, leave a relationship with a narcissist. Um, she's such a, a powerful woman who really understands kind of the damage that narcissists leave in their wake and that and the, the kind of these people who, who are dealing with narcissistic abuse it really rocks their confidence. And so I, I like to say that I've been in kind of the, the world of therapy through a, a lot of these kind of greats out there. And, and some of them I've reached out to and I, I'm like Dr. Romani. Uh, I love when I even have questions, like I can text her. And so, yeah. You're so self-realized. I just very deep. very deep, which is so important. And I think in the reality space, it's hard to find a lot of depth just being what I faced myself. Because mm -hmm. I always say it's just like, I always try to be, you know, my most authentic self. And then when mm -hmm. I'm, I'm faced with other people who aren't authentic, hypocrisy, nothing makes me more nauseous, right? That's yeah. what I always yeah. say. And it's just like, you're so, I deal with that on a daily basis. Yes. And it's well, you must also struggle with, and, and the, it's still a struggle for me, but I'd love to know how you deal with it. A lot of people talking out of two sides of their mouth. So you get a lot of gaslighting and yes. then they do completely different. And I'll be really honest with you, as much as I like to stay grounded, I still have the most trouble dealing with that. Like that whole idea of people really, because in our industry, they love to gaslight you and say, da, 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 or, oh no, you're being too sensitive. Oh no, it's not that. And, da, 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 da. and then they totally do the opposite thing. 
Oh yeah. It's, it's happened to me a lot. And you know what it is? It's like, when I got on the show, I was just like, I was like, this can't be real. This can't be fighting. This can't be this, but people are so worried you're going to take their place in life or, or like I helped one woman on my show and I'll just say, Danielle, I felt sorry for her. She came on back as a friend and she was so unstable. I sent her to my real life therapist. You know, I'm thinking I'm going to fix people, you you know, (laughs) and, and her whole goal was to be famous. I feel like if you're going on a reality show just to be famous, and not use it as a, a platform or, or whatever it is, you know, it's not going to work. And her whole goal in life is to be famous. I'm just like, oh, what, what is the point of that? And I was just trying to convince her, you know, I wouldn't get married just for TV. She like wanted <laughs> to just have a TV wedding. I'm like, how annoying is that? I mean, to yeah. me, you know, social media is my, you know, for business and this and that. But I like to be in the moment. My, mm-hmm. my team has to force me to do my social media, you, you know, because yeah. I want to enjoy the people I'm around. Yeah. I yeah. want to put out content that brings something to the world. Like I think positive, you know, something positive and interesting and good, inspiring thing. Not like, Oh, look at me, look at me. I'm so fucking fabulous. Cause that's not what it's, I mean, to me, yeah. that's not what it's about. No, and I love that you. I love that you, you. You say that because you know, even with my book, like because there are these very deep messages there, and I and I'm, I'm and I, I took a page out of the Wachowskis book, and and not that I'm even comparing myself to them because they're so great, but I did have the opportunity to work with them on the press junkets for Matrix Two and Three, not the first film, and so I saw kind of their level of passion, and and I'm just like you, I don't like. I get really annoyed by people who want to do something to be famous. You've got to do something because it's your passion. Yes. But what I loved, but what I loved about the Matrix film, especially the first one, which which had nothing to do with, but um, what I loved about that film is that everyone went to that movie thinking they were going to see this really cool sci-fi movie with really new effects. And they came out of that film thinking like, oh my God, I was in church. Like there was this Mm -hmm. deep life message. And I'm not like I'm comparing my work, my book to the Matrix. However, what I what I want to point out is like stories of substance are always passed over for viral sensation. Mm -hmm. And that's just the world that we live in today. And that's why so many people want to just be famous. So I had to think cleverly kind of like what the Wachowskis did in creating a book that looks like it's, (laughs) that it's like uh, just this this like salacious sensation from the title, like the wig, the bitch and the meltdown to the characters on the cover or to, Oh, and then you read it. And what I'm getting right now are all these letters from people just that I mean, my book only released a couple of weeks ago, but they're like, I did not expect to get this out of your book because I thought it was going to be just, you know, the salacious part, but um, it, it was important. And, and I'm glad that even people, when now that they're reading the book, they're realizing that the bitch part actually speaks to, in the title speaks to a situation like life's a bitch, bitch payback's a bitch. It's not talking about a person, but people are reading the title, making assumptions. But again, that it's, that it's Keisha or something I, like that. Yeah, or somebody, I, had yes. to, I had to engage the public, though, kind of similar to like what they did in The Matrix to make them think they're getting one thing because our world only knows virality and viral mm-hmm. sensation, but then slip in something with a little more meaning underneath. Yeah, it's like the trailer teaser. (laughs) Did you like it? Did you like the trailer I did? Yes, it was like the trailer teaser and the title's like the trailer teaser. But then it's like really it's it's deep content, which is which is absolutely amazing. So what's next for Jay Manuel? Jay Manuel. I want to say correctly, not (laughs) Manuel. Everybody, it's Jay Manuel. (laughs) Um, you know, for me, as I had said, uh, the next book. 
the next book. And, and, and honestly, at first, I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to do part two, because the way the book ends, it does allow to open, you know, part two of the book, which uh, I'll, I'll, I've not told anyone. Uh, I'll give you guys a little hint. Ooh. It's a bit of a redemption story, uh, which is great, but it opens with a big bang. Uh, I have started it. But I really, um, when I handed in my manuscript last year, I did not realize how addicting writing became. Oh, I really thought writers were like a lot of times they're like, oh, I need silence, da, 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 all this stuff. I always thought it was a lot of like bullshit, you know, yeah. a lot of bullshit. But it really was true. And when I handed in my manuscript, I actually did crash. Like I, I thought I kind of went through a mini depression. Like my dopamine levels crashed. I really enjoyed kind of doing my final, you know, polishes of the draft. And then I felt like I didn't have anything. So one day I woke up and I'd had this dream and I just wrote out this treatment. I thought I was going to write a page. I wrote it's like seven pages for this kind of dystopian black mirror-ish takes place in the near future story. It has nothing to do with these characters. Uh, and I sent it to my writing mentor and I said, do you think this could be kind of cool? And she just wrote back, yup, period, you're a writer. And so I, I, do, I didn't know if I was going to do that first or this other book, but I did start the part two for the meltdown and um, I, people are asking for it. So I think I have to dig into and really finish this. Um, so that's definitely what's on the ticket right now. Cause we're still in quarantine. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. We're not going uh, anywhere uh, yeah. major, no travel these days. I mean, I have yes. Exactly. Which is no fun. And I mean, and you're in, I don't want to say to everybody what time you're in. You're in Connecticut. You're in Connecticut. Connecticut and you're, in, city, yeah. and you're in the town with where um, Emily, my ghostwriter, lives. So I'm coming to visit you. I, yes. I get COVID tested twice a week. So <laughs> we're safe. We're safe. Excellent. Well, when you come when you come out here, you're going to have to let me know so that we can I'm totally hang out. Don't forget, you got my number. Text me. Yes, I'm totally texting. Wait, can I ask you another personal question? Uh, of do, you have, do you have someone special in your life? I do. That's usually time. where I leave. That's usually where I leave it because then everyone <laughs> digs. Yes. Oh, okay. Fine. Has it been that. a long time, or is this um, a long time? Yeah. I know. Wow, you kept that private. Don't you love how I just like keep that real simple? Yeah, but that, like you know that. what? I like that. There's certain things that need to be kept private. I understand. You know, I never really understood when people. I look. I think it's a conscious choice if you're going to put you know relationships in the public eye. I just. You know, to me, I just feel like uh, already, you know, when I'm in the grocery store, you get like every question in the book. Uh, I don't know. I know. I know. Like Where's your bank account, Jay? I mean, I know people, <laughs> you go into the grocery I get it. Yeah. I mean, people see me, you know, my husband's on the show with me, but my kids, people are like, you're the worst mother, da, da, da. Because I only spoke about two of my kids that I have an estranged relationship with that are my stepchildren. Between my husband and I, we have six children. I birthed a child. I keep those very private. They've never been on the show. I never mention their names because those are private relationships. And my mm -hmm. children are older. They don't want to be mentioned. And I keep it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. And, and what I guess with when, when you are, uh, I mean, kind of putting things out there publicly, um, people love to blur the lines because that's the world that we're in right now. Yes. And, and and especially right now, people are trying to penetrate through that shield of social media because everyone's realizing a lot of it is not real or it's just a fast one facet of you and there are multiple facets to all of us. 
And um, I will share uh, an interesting experience I had recently because I had, I was on the, uh, on a phone interview with a journalist. Well, we'll call him a journalist. I don't know. I've since researched further and found out he's a little messy. I'm not even going to say his name. I've just not had an experience like this in all the years of doing press. But, um, you know, he started off, he'd read my book. And, and by the way, my publicist was on the line because it was a phone interview. You know how it yes, is. They of connect course, you, right? Of course. Yes, yes, yes. So, yeah. So he's listening on the line. But publicists try not to jump in unless things really, you know, go crazy. So he's on the phone. The, the journalist says to me, um, oh, my God, I read your book. I love this. I love how he loved that whole metafictional thing that's in the last part the of my book. Section, he yes. Talked, yeah. So he really hyped it up and spoke about it in detail. So I knew he read the whole book. And then he said, okay, so now let's just like dive into some other questions. He asked some pointed questions, which I thought were very fair. Like, you know, did I feel that I should have like gone to any of the, you know, people that this is inspired by and, and, and let them know beforehand, which I thought was a fair question. Yeah, it's a fair question. It's a fair question. But, but I don't, you don't have to clear it. I personally don't think you have to clear it with everybody. I mean, no, you- no. yeah, you don't. But here's where he crossed the line and I didn't know how to deal with it because I like to look at people and think I'm dealing with like nice people like you guys, you know, yes, yes, cool yes. And blah, blah, blah. no. And so I'm always uh, sometimes a little naive and still at 48. I was like, I didn't see it coming, but then he started challenging me like, well, I've gone back in multiple interviews, etc., And it's really interesting right now. You know, I, I'm really curious why you've never identified yourself as gay. I was like, wait, what? And I was like, well, wait a minute. And in my mind, I, in my mind, I knew what was going on, but I didn't want to say anything and I didn't know what to say to him. So he says this to me and I said, well, here was my answer. I do find that kind of odd seeing as most people realize from when I started on Top Model, you know, it was kind of clear that, you know, Miss J, my sexuality yes. on the show, we were just who we were. We, to, yeah. we didn't have to hide who we were, but we were just ourselves. And then when I presented how many times at the, I said, if you were doing your research, I presented awards at the Glad Media Awards. I don't know how many times, you know, representing gay men. And then the first time they ever broadcasted their awards, the Glad Awards from the Kodak Theater in Los Angeles, I was the host of their main red carpet and backstage yeah. as a member of the LGBTQ plus community. So I don't understand, like, do I have to wear a shirt that says I'm gay? I, I didn't, understand it but he then just started it was like attack after attack on my personal identity and so that's why going back to your question of like why i don't talk about certain parts of my personal life it's because i realize it opens you up to things that have nothing to do with your work and i wish i had the foresight although i always talk about lessons he was a great lesson because i'll tell you this much if anyone went there and started challenging my identity he went as far to say as also challenging my ethnicity what? I was like wait what uh, what does this have to do what an asshole that's outrageous, yeah, yeah, that's really outrageous. that is so yeah. terrible awesome. well Listen, the good thing was his, his his little story came out and uh and he actually didn't talk about the book in the story he, he turned it into a negative piece where he was trying to attack me and my values but people started attacking him for not doing his job by talking about the book that's right you are so well loved no one's going to take you down i mean and your book i mean this is just so impressive i love it so so much i didn't get totally to the end yet just only because i've been filming but i'm crazy for it and i can't wait to finish it tonight because i i don't film on mondays (laughs) so 
just tell everybody where to find you. So you can find me on social media at, at Mr. J Manuel on both Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at J Manuel Official. But um, so people looking for my book, it's really everywhere books are sold um, from Amazon to Apple, like like everywhere, Barnes and Noble. But if they and we're going to do a web- swipe up and I'm going to do oh, a good. swipe up and we'll so do So my that. website just has everything, which is just jmanuel.com. Yeah. I love it. Well, I'm super excited. I can't wait to make my way to Connecticut yep, in the next few over. weeks. So yeah, I'll be there in the next <laughs> few weeks because I have to get my ass going with my book. Well, well definitely, definitely don't forget. I'll call you out on it. If you come to, if I see yeah. you on social media no. and you're in Connecticut and you didn't call me, Margaret, I'm coming for you. No. All right. No, I'm totally because your skin, I got to see it in person. It's so flawless. I'm, I can't handle it. Gorgeous <laughs> and you. smart Thanks. and fabulous and deep. And this was like amazing. Thank you so much Thank for coming you. on. You are so inspiring. Thank you for letting me come on and just like I prattle. I don't know. You guys are, you're too easy to talk to. So I was just going a mile a minute. So. No, I oh, love no, every I love second. It. That's what we love. You're so inspiring. I mean, I feel like I had a therapy session. I feel me so too. inspired. I, like lifted I feel very inspired. lifted. You made my day. Thank you. And maybe I think my month. <laughs> yes, definitely. Thanks, Jay. Oh, Thanks awesome. so much. How great was it? That was, I want to say right, Jay Manuel. Jay Manuel. I am just like, I think in the fashion industry and as we said, the reality industry, it's very easy to get jaded and, and run into a lot of shallow characters. I agree. So when you get to chat to someone, also someone that you've idolized for such a long time. I mean, I'm I know. okay yeah. to say I'm fangirling on this one. Of course. I, first of all, I was dying over him. I, I just, I could stare at him the whole time. So I'm sitting here with my mouth open <laughs> and his, and his stories are so magnificent, so deep and so enriching and so real and authentic. And it's so inspiring to see someone authentic in those two industries. Yes. I mean the book, the wig, the bitch and the meltdown. And it's really so great. And it's, Listen, characters are inspired by. I don't think you have to go clear it with everybody who you're inspired by. Oh, just so you know, you inspired me. It's like everybody else is not the boss of you. Well, no, and like we said in the interest, you have your own story to tell. So you could say whatever the heck you want. It's your story to tell. It's not a big deal. But of course, we work in two industries. Of egos. Of egos, of self-centered psychotics. (laughs) Psycho egos. And everybody thinks everything's about them. Well, and that's the problem. I thought Mm -hmm. it was also interesting, we've talked about this on the podcast before, that Jay said, you know, the show lost its magic a little once they started these like circus hoopla crazy things for the headlines. And we've said it before with even like The Bachelor, how when things are authentic and they're about relationships and achievements and things like that the authenticity is there it's so much more interesting to watch and I agree. reality tv is skating away from that i agree and i like to always say on jersey sometimes i think i look at some of the other franchises and i do think we have authentic relationships on my you show do. and i think that's why there's a lot of pain emotion and that's why people love the jersey girls so i'm just gonna say mm-hmm. we keep it real in jersey i think COVID also has been fun to see shows you know, Jersey always has, you know, been true to itself. I feel like the Jersey is a very true representation, but you know, it'll be interesting when they start filming other shows and they can't take these glamorous trips all over the place. It'll be interesting to see how that affects the relationships of the Exactly. Exactly. I agree. Listen, I think New York is also very authentic to themselves because they have real relationships. They do have real relationships. Yeah. Not based in shallow bullshit, but based in, um, 
shallow vodka glasses. I was just going to say, I know. based in a bucket pinot. Exactly. Okay. Well, thank you, Caviar Dreamers. I hope you enjoyed this because it's great. It was so great. And you guys must, must, must buy yeah. The Wig, The Bitch, and The Meltdown. It's a great, great book. I'm finishing it tonight. And we're going to have the swipe up on all of our stories. So yes. you could just swipe up and buy it. you got to get it. You guys are going to love it. Get some summer reading in. Get some summer reading. It's salacious with a lot of deep messages. Okay. So you could find us at Caviar Dreams Tuning Fish Budget on YouTube and Instagram. We have episodes every Wednesday at The Real Margaret Josephs, at The Life of Mrs. B. And we'll see you next week. See you next week. Caviar Keep dreaming. Dreamers. Keep dreaming. <laughs>